You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Before I jump in again, I want to I want to thank uh, Shannon for the two weeks that that, that she taught on sexuality and gender. I, I, I loved it. Annette and I listened to it while we were in Albania. And I'm going to say this to parents and grandparents. You have been handed a gold mine as far as a gift of her outline that's online. If you have conversations with your children or grandchildren, it is a perfect outline to use. And so I'm just going to encourage you, don't, don't stop right there with, with just hearing what Shannon said. Go online, <clears throat> get the outline, hear it again. Uh, I think it's one of the best teaching tools that I've ever seen or heard of uh, in especially this subject. When we talk about gender and sexual identity, she did an amazing job, an amazing job. So I want to encourage you to get that outline. And then Ryan Agley, he brought a great word last week on identity. Uh, Wow, just to be able to speak to that from a perspective of a young leader, to speak to that in perspective and, and keeping in mind some of the youth uh, that, that we lead that are part of this congregation and church. And so I, I just want this, this issue, this subject to continue to be pressed in uh, to the life and body of our church and our community. Can you say amen to that? Yeah, we, we just need to keep going after that. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to do that, and I, I'm going to do this with you. I need you to pray with me uh, because what we're going to talk about here is not an easy subject. What we're going to talk about here is... Um, is, is, a, is a difficult thing to talk about. And my heart uh, as a pastor is so sensitive when it comes to these particular areas of identity. And so I want you to know that what I'm going to communicate to you this morning comes, uh, comes from a pastor's heart. It comes from the heart of, of someone that wants to be very tender and empathetic and compassionate about what's going on in the lives of people in the world that we're part of. And it really is a broken world. So today I'm going to address the implications of a broken Imago Dei. What does that look like when the Imago Dei of society, community, individuals are broken? There are things that happen. There are consequences that take place because of that. And so this morning, I want us just to be able to pray together. If you would do that in Jesus' name. Father, uh, this morning I, I come to you not with the wisdom of men, but I come to you with, in weakness and frailty, Lord Jesus, knowing that no one has all the answers except you. And so, Lord, what you communicate by the power of your Holy Spirit today, Lord, I just pray that it would come across as being something truthful, something very truthful, centered in truth, but with empathy and love, Lord Jesus. There would be much, much grace that would come our way this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And we say, amen. Well, again, we're in a series simply titled Identity. We're asking the question that Jesus asked his apostle Peter. Remember the question, who do you say that I am? Very personal question. Uh, He wasn't talking about the audience. He wasn't talking about the congregation. He was talking about himself, his own life. Who, Peter, do you say that I am? Now, I I want you to understand something. A couple years ago, I really didn't have a particular interest in the subject called identity. But because this subject has taken interest in my children and grandchildren, your children and grandchildren, it has my undivided attention today. And so I've spent the last year or two just walking through 
passages of Scripture that speak to who we are in Jesus Christ, uh, that speak to who we should be in Jesus Christ. And and so coming across and studying what is called, and we call it the Imago Dei, the image of God, that we've been created in the image of God. And so this is, I understand, very a very personal thing. But we're going to do this. We're going to go right back to where we've been for the last few weeks. If you have your Bible, you can open it to Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 26 and 27. You've been there. You've, uh, you, you've heard different perspectives of this particular passage of Scripture. But it is worth going there because, once again, it deals with the template of we being created, humans being created in the image of God. And we can never lose sight of that. We need to hold on to that. That is, that is our anchor whenever we have discussion about identity. It is right here in what the Bible says, beginning at verse 26 of chapter 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. That is the hallmark passage of scripture that indicates to us the truth of us being created in God's image. So here's the bottom line. How we are designed and how we flourish is directly linked to God being the creator of all things and that we are created in his image. The Latin term for that, and you've heard it, is imago Dei. In Acts chapter 17, verse 28, the apostle Paul says this. He says, for in him we, le- we live, we move, and we have our ba- being. And I want you to listen to this. We are his offspring. I want you to take, take a hold of that. We are his offspring. That's something that I'm going to ask you to to keep in mind as we go through this passage of Scripture. We are his offspring. So, So let's look at what are some of the important truths, some of the important implications about being created in God's image and being the offspring of God. So the first thing to understand is because we are God's offspring. Now the word offspring here, original language, is the word Genos. Now, that may sound familiar to you because it's where we get the English word genes. That's where it comes from. So this literally means that if you could take a spiritual DNA test to see where you've come from, that geno would tell you that you come from God. <laughs> so, so if we had the ability to do that, it, you would read it right away. Well, you come from God because you're created in God's image. You come from the genes or the DNA of God. You are in his family. You are part of his tribe. You are included because you are made in his image. And because we are God's offspring, we possess this. We possess an intrinsic value and dignity that places us above every other living creature in the creative order. Can you say amen to that? And we've talked about that before. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about that specifically, that you are, and there were reasons why, we know that we're created above everything else in the creative order. And we have an intrinsic value because God has given us his image. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, that's, that's amazing that you have the DNA of God 
in you and on you. Now remember, this is not something that you earned. It isn't something that you even deserve. This was bestowed upon you by your creator. It is a gift that God has given you. Uh, which indicates his love for you, which indicates his, his kindness and grace given to you. It's a gift. Every human being has been given that gift. Every human being has been given that gift. A few weeks ago, um, we had a ceremony at the fire department, and I was part of the ceremony. And what we were doing is we were honoring some local heroes. Local heroes that during the summer were out at the Malala River, and they saw a young man drowning. Uh, and actually, by the time they got to that young man, he was already on the bottom, about 15 feet below, his eyes open with a panic look on his face. They probably would consider him dead at that time. And so these heroes jumped in, they pulled him up, they got him on the shore, and they resuscitated him. And it was a miracle. It was really, it was a really a miracle. There was a nurse there. There was a, a guy who was swimming with fins on and got, went down to, to get him. And uh, about a 15-year-old boy, and they pulled him up. And, and so what we did is we gathered together to honor those heroes, to recognize the value of life that was saved. His name was Carlos. And he, 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 he's revived. His family, I imagine that. His family were so, so excited. And everyone, you couldn't take the smile off their face. You really couldn't. But while I was there, there were different families, again, that were represented. And one member of a particular family, a, a member of the Heroes family, uh, his name was Joshua. And, and Joshua was probably seven or eight years old. And uh, I was just wearing my fireman hat, you know, and a, maybe a jacket. And he just kept watching me. You know, he was, he was just really looking close at me. And he had a big smile. And so I wanted to go over and I met a new friend named Joshua. And I said, Hi, Joshua. Hi, what's your name? He says, Joshua. And his mom then speaks up and says, he loves firemen. I said, well, I'm kind of one of those guys. I'm just on the board. But hey, if it works, it works. Well, he just kept smiling and, and looking at me. And it was so cute. It was really cute. And so what I did is I went and got him a little gift. The fire department has a little, what they call, you know, the little gavel to start a meeting. They have one in the shape of a fireman's hatchet. It's a small little one. So I grabbed it and I asked somebody, hey, can I give this away? And they said, sure. And so I went over and I handed it to Joshua. And uh, it was like you gave him a million dollars. I mean, he took that thing and he, he walked like this, you know, and he was walking around like this. Uh, Joshua has Down syndrome. And, uh, and he, was, he was just smiling and he was excited. He was holding on to this thing. And I was just, I just couldn't help but get a kick out of that, that he, he thought so much, you know about that little gift, especially coming from a, a firefighter. And uh, listen, let me say something about that right there. Joshua is created in God's image. Joshua's Down syndrome and his extrinsic capacities are severely limited. Joshua will probably be under the care of parents or adult guardians uh, for the rest of his life. He, he just doesn't have the ability or capacity to... Uh, to make it on his own. He really doesn't. But Joshua is no less valuable than all of the things that God has created in this great creation, that he is on the top of the created order of God. Why? Because he is made in the image of God. He's made in the image of God. God created him. God made him. And it's a beautiful thing to see life 
life emerge from him. And because we have an elevated human dignity, uh, the way that we see the world, the way that we interact with the world must be shaped by our theology. Would you say that's true? It's shaped by what we see in God's word. And because we are created in his image, that should inform your view of humanity, all of humanity. That humanity matters, that people matter, no matter their intellectual capacity or not, no matter their gift sets or not, no matter what we think they contribute to society or not, humanity matters. People matter. You matter to God. So let me walk us through a few cultural things that this truth should inform and shape. We want to talk about some things that this affects directly. And some of these issues are, again, very personal. I understand that and sensitive to many who are listening, including Annette and myself, that these are issues that we have had to deal with in our own family. And so when I speak of these issues, please know that they're not devoid of any thought or actual realities in our own life because we've dealt with some of this. So my prayer for this last week has been that the Holy Spirit would bring that only perfect blend that he can bring of truth and love. And so we see that and we hear that. We experience that here in this place. So if human beings and all human beings are made in the image of God, and we are image bearers of God and have an elevated dignity above all other life in the created order, then that should shape how we view abortion. That should shape how you see life, how you see abortion. And it's a hot topic. It's a, it's a controversial topic. But here's the, here's, here's the reality. That God chose the womb of a mother to hold in it his image, the Imago Dei. And because this is God's design, the womb of a mother is deeply sacred and should be a safe place for life to grow. That's what Psalm 139 says. For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. See, of all the places that God could have said, let's put life there. <laughs> you know, all the places that he could have chosen to put life, he puts life in the womb of a mother. What a, what a beautiful expression of the image of God. What a beautiful expression of a life-giving God. Now, I understand this. Again, I understand that abortion is politically charged. It's a politically charged issue. But even more, to many, it's a very personal issue. That, that comes with pain, that comes with trauma. And uh, there are women here today, there are women that will hear this message that have gone through an abortion. What I want to say to you is we stand with you wholeheartedly and we want God to be able to touch your life. And if any healing is necessary, then God bring healing in Jesus' name. And that there would be people that would stand together. That we would not be a divisive group. But we would be a people that express the community of God. That we get around people who for whatever reasons are hurting and in pain and feel alone. And that would be certainly individuals that have experienced uh, an abortion. We have been, again, close to the issue ourselves. But as believers, listen to this, as believers... We can never lose sight of the fact that the abortion issue is an Imago Dei issue. It really is. They're, they're, they're the, that's the issue. And I want to say this. Men, I want to talk to you just for a moment. Men, don't you dare ever think that this is just a woman's issue. Please, it's not. 
This is a man and woman issue. This is about together. Men, we cannot separate ever, ever separate ourselves from this issue. It's, in fact, for me, it's much more of a male issue than it is a female issue. Because of the call that God has put on man to cover, to protect, to guard, to stand by, to walk with, then then women are left at times vulnerable and by themselves and alone because someone didn't come and stand with them that should have been standing with them. Men who have been absent from this are following their forefather, Adam. When his wife, Eve, looked the devil in the face, he was nowhere to be found. And I'm going to say this, men, we cannot, we cannot influence, we cannot walk with community. We cannot walk with the women we love if we are absent. We must be present in every way, shape, or form. We must be present. And so I'm going to ask this before we leave today. There are boxes in the back that we're going to take uh, donations for the pregnancy center. Uh, that we support on a regular basis here, that we want to continue to give, we want to continue to encourage, we want to continue to bless. But here's what I'm going to ask. If your family, as a couple, you're giving that offering, men, I would just ask just symbolically that you hold it in your hand and you put it in the box. As men who are standing with those that are hurting. And we're going to put a link up to the Pregnancy Care Center here in Canby, I have the phone number right here. We want to continue to take donations. Most of you might not know this, but we take all the change, the change that comes in for the whole year here. It's significant, and we give that to the Canby Care Center, uh, the Pregnancy Care Center. And so we want to continue to do that. Listen, a male can and has the ability to bring life, but a man will take responsibility to protect and care for that life. Can you say amen to that? Now, I'm going to say something that may, again, be hard for some of us to hear, and it is directed at all of us, both men and women. When a society puts at risk the lives of innocent, unborn children by making them expendable, then put, they put at risk all innocent young lives in that society. There's no way they can compartmentalize that. There's no way that sin and death will not take advantage of that. That is the nature of sin and death. And so by the legalizing of abortion not only put the unborn in harm's way, it put all children in harm's way. When a society dehumanizes, when a society devalues any human life, then death will not be exclusively kept to the unborn. And I believe with all my heart you're seeing the domino effect of that in today's society. Years and years after. Now I know we've reversed it Supreme Court, uh, Court reversed it being legal. But I want to say this. While there are some that and we, it would be, ex- I mean, there's an excitement that we are able to see that the legalization has been turned around. But that's only the beginning of our responsibility. It isn't just saying, well, now it's illegal and we walk away. That's not how we work. We look at it and we say, okay, we understand it's illegal, but there's still desperate people out there. There's still hurting people out there. There's still people that are living in pain and alone, and that is a responsibility we have. Why? Because of the Imago Dei. This isn't just a legal or not legal issue. 
that the way sin works is it continues to spread. See, uh, abortion, in a lot of ways, opened the door for young, innocent lives to be dehumanized and devalued. And the evidence is easily seen in tremendous, tremendous escalations. I mean, statistics back this up. You don't even have to look very far. Statistics back this up. Over the last 50 years, child pornography has gone on the rise. Child sex trafficking has gone on the rise. Child suicide has gone on the rise. And child homicide has gone on the rise. You can say causation, correlation, whatever you want to say, it's, it's all on the rise. No one would doubt today that we live in pretty perilous times, especially as children. And we look at the devastation that families have experienced through uh, homicide and suicide of their children. It's, it's now past, gun violence in children's lives is now past uh, death by accident, car accident, or automobile accident. It's, it's, the high, it's what they're dealing with. It's one of the highest things that bring, that, that bring uh, death uh, to children. And I have a heart and a compassion for our kids. And I, I want to see them be able to live in a safe place. Because when we look at Genesis chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, it says, Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God, as God made mankind. Now listen to verse 7. As for you, for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply in the earth and increase upon it. That is the, the reverse of death. That is saying, now you bring life. Now, I know we only have seasons to do that in our, in our, in our human body. We have their seasons for bringing forth life. But we can always encourage bringing forth life. We can always be there to bring forth life with others. We're waiting for our 10th grandbaby to be born and could be born in any minute. We are so excited because what? Life is being brought forth. And we want to be present and celebrate. We want to celebrate that life. Our God is the author of life. Amen to that. He's an author of life. He's not an author of death. Life belongs to God, and humans do not have the absolute autonomy or sovereignty over their own lives. We know that. We're under God's life. We are the stewards of life given to us by God. All of life is to be cherished, and all of life is to be protected. That's why the Bible compels us to have an Imago Dei theology of life that is from, listen to this, that is from the womb to the tomb. From the womb to the tomb. Say that with me. From the womb to the tomb. This is our theology. This is what we believe. This is what the Bible supports. From the womb to the tomb theology should not only should not only inform how we see and treat the unborn, but it should also inform and form our thoughts about how we treat others. How you treat people in this room because they're part of the Imago Dei order of things. How you treat other cultures, how you treat other languages, how you treat other ethnicities. The Imago Dei should inform how we treat others. Can you say amen to that? So here it is. I want you to hear, on, hear me on this. The Imago Dei, the image of God, is at the core of both abortion and racism. They both are the result 
of a broken Mago day, both. Now, why do I say that? Why is that important? Because in typical Christian communities, we might favor one over the other when they're both the same. So some people may have a, a real passion to help save the unborn. And I get that, and I'm on board with that. But when it comes to looking at the brokenness of other cultures, we might not have that same passion. We might not have that same vigor. And then there are some that have that vigor for other cultures, ethnicities, and they express that, but not, not expressed in saving the life of the unborn. Listen, both of them in Christian community, according to God's word, affect the Imago Dei, and that's where we should be passionate on both sides of that. We don't just get to choose one or the other because we're talking about someone, someone that God has created. Listen, there is no master race, do you, okay? There's no such thing as white supremacy. There's no such thing as a master race. How do I know that? Because y'all come from Adam and Eve. That's where you come from. There's no race that's more intelligent than another. There's no race that's more gifted than another. There's no race that is above any other race. We come from Adam and Eve. And all I'm saying to you right now is be consistent with your theology. Please, be consistent with your theology. Because what I hear on the front lines is sometimes, well, the church is so inconsistent and actually hypocritical when they go after this area of life and don't talk about this area of life. And I would have to say I agree. We have to, by the power of God's Holy Spirit, be passionate about racism and what happens with abortion. Can you say amen to that? In fact, any place and anywhere where people are stripped of their God-given dignity as being made in the image of God and the degradation and being used as something to consume and violate it, we are sinning against God. We are mocking his image and we are belittling his name. I want to give you some more common violations of the Imago Dei. And this really hits close, again, to where many of us have been affected. And here it is. We are out of touch if we do not see the reality and believe that we cannot separate the growing statistic of pornography use from the growing statistic of sexual violence and abuse. They are together. They are not different. And so you see the growth of this. And I know these are hard things to hear, but we have to look at this and say, Lord, help us see this. Because pornography is the degradation of the performers of not having souls, of not having real value, and consuming their emptiness and despair for our own pleasure. It's deplorable. It's wicked because no little girl ever dreams of growing up and being a sex performer. No girl. 
And so when we look at the things in our society, what do we do? First of all, we pray in the powerful name of Jesus against any enemy assault, especially that will go after our children and our women. When, they, when the enemy wants to come there, that's a place, men, where we stand up and say, not on my watch. It isn't going to happen. Every time Annette and I <laughs> drive by a, a strip club, and there are plenty of them in Portland when you drive by, both of us, you could hear us at the same time going, in Jesus' name, close that place down. In Jesus' name, protect the girls that are there. In Jesus' name, let the men run. Scare them to death. Get them out of there. So supply and demand drops. In Jesus' name. We pray that. We pray that all the time. If you're in our car, you're going to hear that. Listen, where clients in these strip clubs of business, men go to be entertained. These are places where the Imago Dei is not understood. And it is always the weak and vulnerable that are abused and consumed. And who are they in our society? There are women and our children. I'm going to say something here. The Apostle Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. And sometimes when women hear this, it can rankle them. But stick with me for just a moment, please. It says this about our wives and our women. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner. That has nothing to do with equality. It has nothing to do with a woman's value. It has nothing to do with their intellectual capacity. It has nothing to do with their gifts and what they offer to society and community. It's where the Imago Dei has been fractured. Women will bear the brunt of this evil world. Yes, I know there's men and boys involved. But the greater population when it comes to degradation is women and children. And you, you see that it needs to be called out. That it will be woman who will most often be consumed. It will be women that most often not valued. Do you know the number one sign of a cult? A satanic cult? Is the degradation of women and children in that society. If you have any religious system, any, any system at all, any, any business where women and children are not valued, you have a cult. That's how you define it. That's how you look at it. And that's why when we look at what's gone on in the Middle East with Hamas that does not care about life, they have an annihilistic theology. That means they're grown up to die. They're growing them up to die. You'll see kids wearing the little band says, I'm a future martyr, holding an M16 in their hand. That is the nature of those communities, those societies. Do I feel and pray for those that are innocent, that are involved with? Absolutely. But it will always be the leadership of those places that will rule the day. And in this case, it will be women and children who carry the brunt of this. That's why I'm so passionate, by the way, if you haven't picked that up yet. We had a, a men's gathering Friday night. It was great. I'm going to tell you this. For me, it was one of the most encouraging times that I've been able to spend with the men in our church. We had a, a great time. That's not to make any guy that didn't go feel bad. It just was what it was. And I was so blessed by the guys that came out. Probably over 100 guys showed up. And we had a good time. The team that put it together did a great job. Ryan Egley and the team did a great job putting it together. But I'm going to tell you. I was so encouraged, and I, I, felt, I felt safe in there because I'm thinking these are healthy men who understand 
whether they articulate it or not, they understand the Imago Dei and the value of the Imago Dei in them, in their wives, in their family, in their kids. They understand it. You, you, could, you, you could feel it. You could see it. And, and a question came up, and they, they asked me this. How, um, how have you raised your sons? And I had two goals for my boys when they were growing up, and I want you to hear what these two goals are. One is when they grow older, they would love Jesus with all their heart, all their mind, all their soul. But number two, they would love and respect their mother for the rest of their life. Because I knew that if they love Jesus, it'll take care of the spiritual aspects of their life. But if they love their mother and respect their mother, they will be good husbands and they will be good fathers to those children. And today, I'm looking at them going, you are good fathers. You are good husbands. Because of one very simple goal in our home. You will love her and you will respect her. Men, this is a standard we have to set. That we do not demote women or mothers. We do not joke about moms and women. We don't do those things. We don't. There was one instance when my kids were little. My boys were sitting in the car. And uh, we were all waiting in the car. And we were waiting for Annette. And I got to tell you, time was going by, and I was getting pretty impatient. But I'm thinking, man, I can't let my boys see this. They can't see that I'm impatient with my wife. You know, they can't see that I may not love her or anything that would crack the door open to, to have them think I don't respect or love her. I mean, that's what I've... So I was sitting there, and I said, Lord, please, please help me respond to this because, honestly, she is bugging me right now, you know? <laughs> I mean, she needs to be out here. We're going somewhere, you know? And I'm thinking... And, and, and I thought, oh, I know. So right when she opened the door to come to the car... I started singing, and I don't sing good at all, but I started singing, there she is, Mrs. America. And I started clapping. I said, watch, guys, watch how pretty she is. Look, she's walking to the car, and, and they were all, and I think the first time she got in the car, she said, what in that world is going on here? Men, we can always find ways to counter. Men, we can always find solutions to honor and respect the women in our lives. And we look for those things to honor and respect. Guys, can you say amen to that? Amen. amen. We're going to continue to do that. And we aren't going to let people stand alone. And especially women when they're facing these horrible, horrific circumstances. Some of them are today. And we need to come alongside. We need to stand with them. The other thing, and I'm going to finish with this because I'm going to have a net come up. I have a daughter. You hear about my two sons and you have a, you have a, a daughter who's my, um, yeah. She's like the apple of my eye. She's the youngest. She was the only one I cried when I saw her first at Bourne. I lost it, and Annette was going, oh, boy, this guy's losing it. And I lost it with her. Um, and what I determined to do, and this isn't an excuse for not disciplining, but I never raised a hand to her. Now, I don't know how you go through discipline. I really don't, and that's family's business, and they go through that. There were other ways to discipline, other ways to punish, and I probably should have done more of that. But I never wanted to raise a hand against her. And the reason why was she should never think it's okay that a man lifts a hand to her, ever, ever. And I thought, well, her dad's got to be the one that teaches her that. And when we were goofing around and playing with the boys, whenever she said no was a no. Her no was a no. Her yes was a yes. And I'm thanking the Lord for that today because of the anchor she has in her own life. We can do it.
church, this is the place the answers are found. We uphold and we cherish the Imago Dei in everyone. Annette, would you come up here? I'm going to have Annette just, uh, if she would, um, I'm going to have her pray for uh, our women, and then I'm going to pray for our men. And so I'm going to let you hold that so I get to get close to you. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Father. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness, your mercy, your kindness, Mm -hmm. your steadfastness. We feel safe when we look into your face. Father, draw us. Draw each woman who has any doubt, any fear to that place where they look at you and they know they are unconditionally loved Mm -hmm. and accepted Mm -hmm. for who they are, regardless of what they may have done in their past or thought in their past, Mm -hmm. that Jesus, your blood covers everything. Mm -hmm. And I stand as a witness to that, that we are free in you, free indeed to grow, to have purpose, to be loved and valued, that you see us as whole. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray that over every woman here in your precious, precious name. Amen. Father, I just lift up our men and what a good group of men they are. Lord, in their heart is the is the spirit of doing right by you and honoring the Imago Dei, not only in themselves, but in their, in their relationships and especially with women, whether they're their daughters or their wife or whatever that might be, Lord. So, Lord, I pray that you continue to give us as men the courage to stand up and to honor you and honor our families and especially to honor the women that are in our lives. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you would give us the courage at times to be vulnerable because when we are, it gives others hope, including our own families. There's hope when we're honest before you. So, Lord, bless our men. Keep our men. Let them continue to grow. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And we say together, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.